0: hey everybody Montel here and thanks so much for tuning in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel and I'm so excited to have the guest that I have on today with me I'm going to introduce her in a few minutes but I want to chat with you for a few seconds because you know if you've been following Let's Be Blunt with Montel you know one of the most important things I've talked about when it comes to our space this industry is Education, education, education. Education, I think, is as important to the cannabis industry as location, location, location is to real estate. And unfortunately, I think in the last couple of years, we have not done the service that we could be doing to the consumer, that we should be doing to the consumer to let them be aware and make them better aware of you know, the benefits of cannabis and the reasons why and let them know that there's been research that's been done and let them know that, There are places that you can go to to get that research. And unfortunately, I think this industry has spent a lot of time in the last 10 years doing a lot of B2B education, business to business education, and left the consumers by the wayside. And something that we're starting to see, especially right now during, you know, this pandemic and, you know, so many people being locked down and locked away and tucked away in their homes like me, not willing to go outside. And I'm one of those people, I'm going to tell you that right now, because, I walk out my front door and I am just a aghast. I live here in Miami, Florida. And I'm completely blown away about how ignorant people can be without wearing masks, without practicing good social protection, social distancing techniques, um, acting like there's nothing wrong. And the longer we do this, you know, the longer this is going to persist. And though we've noticed that during these lockdowns, and I've been speaking to a lot of people in the industry, um, especially here on this broadcast and uh, on this podcast, and you've seen them discuss this. That you know, cannabis appears to be one of the only things that seems to be you know COVID proof, recession proof. I mean, we had delivery services that are claiming to have had some of their best months since they've been in business in five and ten years over the last three or four months because more people are you know spending more time at home alone, and I think there are more people making conscious decisions. To shift away from, you know, alcohol consumption and shift over to cannabis consumption, we definitely have seen in a recent article that uh, was put out by the University in Massachusetts that we've seen that cannabis use among seniors or among people in my demographic, baby boomers, you know, sixty-five and older, has gone up by at least seventeen percent, and a lot of them are getting their education. When they if they do happen to go buy a dispensary in one of their states or if the delivery person that's delivering their goods to them that they order from a dispensary can give them some information about it. And I am just absolutely honored to have the guest on I have today, who literally is, I think, one of the most respected and experienced cannabis physicians in the world. She's lectured both nationally and internationally about her clinical experience and, and what helps and helps to educate healthcare professionals on how cannabinoids can be incorporated into a patient's medicinal medication regimen. She's the owner and director of Canna Centers Wellness and Education and the medical advisor to Weedmaps. She recently released her brand new book, which I have right here and I want you to see, which is Cannabis is medicine, how medical cannabis and CBD are healing everything from anxiety to chronic pain. I really want to say thank you so much, Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today. Thank you.
1: It's great to be here, Montel.
0: It's, I mean, I it's, I really, I, you know, I I got a copy of her book this week. I think you said it to me, so I would say thank you so much. Thank you so much. I wish you had signed it. Um, and maybe, you. Oh, you did. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> hey, Bonnie signed it for me. And I got to tell you, you know, in the first, you know, I, here, here's this over, you know, huge ego that I have believing that, you know, in my 20 years of, you know, advocacy for cannabis, long before this became a gold rush, green rush, long before people were talking about even the medicinal efficaciousness of this plant, I was out in public about this and trying my best to, advocate in states around the country that had back then cannabis, medical cannabis laws on their books or were trying to establish them in their books. I was advocating in states like Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, you know, uh, California, Arizona, all over the country. And, and back at a time when I'm going to tell you, I wasn't getting a lot of people to back me up. And I always thought myself to be very well steeped in cannabis history And cannabis and cannabinoid information, as a matter of fact, you know, early in 2001, I was seeking out CBD products back then when nobody was even mentioning the word CBD. We weren't even looking at the individual cannabinoids. As a matter of fact, I think even back then in 2000, 2001, I think science and Dr. Mishulma put out a paper identifying under 60 cannabinoids. And now we know that, you know, research out of Canada and out of the world, there's probably well over 160, 165 cannabinoids or more. We don't even know. We haven't hit the, hit that yet. And I open up your book and in three pages, I get schooled. Boom. You know, four pages, schooled. Boom. Five pages, schooled. This is really, I'm going to tell you, I, 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 I hate to do the shameful plug, but I'm gonna hold up high enough for people at home to see you need to go and get a copy of this book. Get it today. Order it today. Is it on Amazon, Doc? Yes. Order it today. I think this is, this is something we ought to turn into a TV show, my dear, and start educating people once a week. Let's take a chapter and start educating people. The more and more people know and understand what's going on out here, especially in an industry that, I'm going to say, unfortunately, is being taken over now by big corporate players who really never gave a damn about cannabis. They only give a damn right now about trying to make money. And I don't believe in people. I'm very sorry. Maybe I'm, I'm skeptical, but I can't can't accept that if ten years ago you were running around saying that cannabis doesn't work, now all of a sudden you jump on the bandwagon and try to sell me a product. Why should I believe you? And I think you have enough information here. Immediately, that just tells people, you know, things like as simple as read the label, you know, and if you can't get the information that you want off the label, reach out to the company and say, Why don't you give me your certificate, you know, that you got from your independent laboratory? Simple little things like that that can make the consumer, you know, feel much more confident in making decisions about what they're buying. And especially right now, when we know that just like in Israel 10 years ago, You know, cannabis was kind of almost looked at as a geriatric drug. I say it that way loosely, but, you know, you turn 70 years old, you could go to any hospital, show them your driver's license, and they would write you a prescription. And they started finding out that a lot of the people that were going in and doing that were starting to narrow down the prescription medication that they needed and didn't need to be as overly medicated as they had been for so long. So, I I can't thank you enough for being here today to help school us all. You know, as a doctor, you know, first off, your doctor is in your diet, a pediatrician.
1: Right. I trained as a pediatrician. Correct.
0: And you have a uh, a PhD in psychiatry also? Oh, no.
1: nope. I don't have a PhD. So I just have my MD and I did pediatric emergency medicine for about 13 years. That was my specialty.
0: And then what got you convinced? I mean, you know, and I hate to say it this way, but, you know, I mean, the typical pediatrician back when you decided to take a little shift to the left wasn't thinking at all about cannabis being efficacious. So what got you interested in the cannabis world? Stay with us. We'll be right back.
1: the red life i know this is going to become your new favorite podcast and i'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step by step every single week yeah and people always say boy pediatrics to cannabis is such a funny jump um i uh, took some time off. I was working graveyard shifts on a regular basis for years. I was exhausted. I wasn't taking care of myself. I had a young son. I was trying to be mom during the day and doctor at night and, you know, be superwoman. And uh, at uh, some point, I just said, you know what, for my mental health, I think I just need to take a break. So I took a leave of absence. And it was during that time, and things happened, you know, for a reason, I believe. A friend of mine who had been struggling with a pretty serious illness, had reached out to me and asked me about cannabis. And I was embarrassed. I didn't know anything. So I said, well, I got time on my hands. I'm not working right now. I'll just do a little research. So I hopped on the Google machine and I started looking at medical. And remember, California had had cannabis at this point um, for medical patients, maybe 10 years at that point. So 10 or 11 years. And I still knew nothing. And that's really a sad state of affairs, isn't it? So I just did my research and through my friend's experience, just became completely intrigued by this idea of plant compounds being biologically active and changing her chemistry and her physiology so that she could feel better to get through her chemotherapy treatments. And it was astounding her response.
0: And, I mean, I guess when you started digging into the research, even back, what year was this about? Probably? About 2007.
1: 2007.
0: When well, you started digging into the research then, were you not shocked at how long our country had been funding research in other people's countries? Uh, you had to have been shocked at the fact that back in 2000, well, 1998, our country had filed for a patent on CBD And gave itself a patent in two thousand two. Yet at the same time, out of the same side of their mouth, they were saying that cannabis doesn't work.
1: Yeah, the hypocrisy is is astounding. Um, But what's interesting about it too is that our country focused on research on the detrimental effects, not the benefits. And remember, as a Schedule One drug, you know we get put in this. Researchers and scientists get get. Forced to figure out a way to study benefits when they're only allowed to study detriments—that's what people don't understand. A Schedule One drug, in order to get the drug to study, you have to design a study that looks at what's bad about it. They don't really want us looking at the benefits. So this is what has really created a lot of problems for us: is the fact that it's still a Schedule One drug, um, not yeah, allowing they, scientists to move forward.
0: But at the same time, they were sending you know millions of dollars over to Israel. Investigating the valuable portions of cannabis, and a matter of fact, when you look at the abstract that the U.S. government wrote in its patent application in 1998, it goes through sentence after sentence extolling the virtues of cannabis as an antioxidant, as a you know anti-inflammatory agent, as a neuroprotectant, um, you know, in in myriad of of uh, modalities, and yet. They were still screaming, I think it was like 1999, NIDA gave Mashulam their highest award for the research that he had been doing. And so it just seems so crazy and ridiculous to me that 20 years later, we are still, you know, getting ready to battle a president who believes that it's a gateway drug, the new one.
1: That's but- right. Yep. That's right. And so I'm hoping that maybe my book will make its way uh, into the Oval Office so that uh, our politicians can see that there is nothing to be afraid of. There's no reason to continue this reefer madness nonsense. Let, if we could just put blinders on and look just at the science, just look at the science, forget all the propaganda and all the posters uh, from Reefer Madness and all of that. I mean, it's hard to believe that we're even still talking about this in 2020, right? But I'm hoping that if we, if we could just look at the science um, and if I can get my colleagues in the, in the medical world to just look at the science and look, uh, look, I'll say that definitely there's been a shift within the medical world that doctors are now looking at this because they can no longer ignore what patients are saying, right? When the patient doesn't ask for their Xanax or their Vicodin, the doctor must say, well, what, why don't you need it anymore? You've needed it for years. Well, because I've transitioned over to medical cannabis, right? Um, and this is why patients should share their experience with cannabis with their doctors. Don't be afraid to tell your doctor. You may be the patient who changes that doctor's mind. It's important for your voice to be heard that cannabis is helping you. You're not crazy if cannabis helps you. You are just like millions of other people. You have an endocannabinoid system. And it's working.
0: You know, I was just ready. it's so funny. You just did that just like that. You organically went into it because I was just to say, why don't we slow down for a second? And for the people who are tuned in and are watching trying to get some information out of this, why don't we back up for a second and let people understand that the reason why cannabis is such an efficacious plant-based medicine when it comes to human beings is because we have a system that is, you know, genetically, inherently, it's passed on. and has been here since the dawn of man. All, ver- all vertebrates have it. All mammals have it. It's a system that's called the endocannabinoid system. I mean, it just Could you just maybe break this down? I, I try to do this. I cover it on, on Let's Be Blunt often. And I tell people it is our endogenous you know, endocannabinoid system. If you had never used cannabis in your life, your body creates some things that are called cannabinoids. You know, one of them being an anandamide, the other one being 2-AG. And and we know that we may find out more and more as we get more and more research done. But those endogenous cannabinoids are part of a system within our body that helps us reach what we call cellular homeostasis. And that means, you know, making our cells operate in that Goldilocks zone. You know, not too hot, not too cold, but just right. Explain this to people so they they understand and understand don't think that I'm crazy?
1: <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, I did have someone once say to me that they thought that the endocannabinoid system was some kind of hippie hoax, you know, that somebody made it up. But it turns out it's a real thing. And look, it's, this is well documented in the scientific literature, the medical community accepts the fact that we have an endocannabinoid system. It's, it's proven science. So the way, a good way to think about the endocannabinoid system is exactly what you said. It's this uh, physiologic system that regulates the messages that our cells send. So if your cell is sending an over message, like let's say feel pain or feel nausea or have a seizure, your endocannabinoid system is supposed to kick in to help balance that over message, to help kind of, I always tell people, it's kind of like you're on an ocean and a wave comes along and tips you and your endocannabinoid system is what rights the boat. It sends, it tells your cells, stop sending the off message, send a balanced message. And what's interesting about the endocannabinoid system is that it's much, much more expansive than what we realize. And there's tons of research to show that, but it's made up of these receptors, what's called the cannabinoid receptors. And by the way, they were called orphan receptors until scientists figured out that THC, when they're trying to figure out how THC causes the effects, um, and this was in 1988, they gave THC with radioactive dye to animals to see where it went and where, where did it go in the brain? What did it do in the brain? And it attached to this receptor that was called an orphan receptor because nobody knew what it did. And then it changed the name to a cannabinoid receptor. And we have to remember that we do not have cannabinoid receptors for, for the compounds in the plant. We have them because we make our own inner cannabis, right? Exactly what you mentioned, endocannabinoids. And so far, there's about five discovered. I'm sure there's more. They think there's about 13 or 14 now. But what happens is when that compound, your endocannabinoid or THC, or one of the other compounds from the cannabis plant, binds to the cannabinoid receptor, it's like putting a key in a lock and opening the door and telling the cell, hey, stop sending so much crazy message, calm down. And I like your Goldilocks analogy, not too hot, not too cold. Be balanced. And that's kind of, that is kind of what the message is. Now, in research, it's shown that some people have an imbalance, maybe genetic or acquired of their endocannabinoid system and their endocannabinoid system doesn't work as well. And there's some very nice research recently. I remember I work with a lot of children as a pediatrician that shows that children with autism, there's two studies now, one out of Stanford and one out of Israel that show that children with autism have lower levels of the endocannabinoid called anandamide. Compared to children who are neurotypically developing. Well, that's fascinating. If they have lower levels of anandamide, maybe that is why they have some of the behaviors and some of the difficulties they have. And we know that for many children, that when we give them uh, cannabinoid medicine, children with autism, it helps with behaviors. It helps. I have parents telling me their children are becoming more verbal. They're less aggressive. They're less less self-injurious. It's not magic where are these compounds working? They're working at this endocannabinoid system. And I have to say that as a physician, you know, I trained many years ago. I've been a doctor now 30 years. I'm angry that this was not incorporated into my education. I understand that I was kind of the time that I went to medical school school correlated with the time that they discovered this, but nowhere along the line did anybody ever mention to me the endocannabinoid system. And um, it's if we're, we don't teach doctors about it, how are they supposed to know about it?
0: And hey, But, you know, come on, Doc, I mean, you're, you're not that old. And, I mean, they knew this back in 1988. So yeah. you were, you know, just barely getting out of grade school, I guess, back there. <laughs> so, you know, this is, I think, something incorporated. I, I find it just a really crazy that just now there are schools around universities around the country that are now party, making this part of their curriculum in medical school. And, you know, but they kind of throw it in as, you know, one of those electives, you know, those extra added classes where this should be part of, you know, the basis of the science that you're studying, right? As a doctor, you should know everything about, you know, those systems in the body, right?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, the, the way that doctors learn about the body is we learn about different systems. We learn around the neurologic system. Right, we learn around uh, about the circulatory system, the respiratory system. Right, uh, you, if you have a joint problem, you go to a rheumatologist. If you have a, you know, a brain problem, you go to a neurologist. And there's no crossover. People act. I feel like the medical world acts as if these are all separate. But the endocannabinoid system is everywhere. And right. for patients who are struggling, they have not only maybe some brain disease, but they have gut disease. They have autoimmune disease. They have a crossover, I, you know, I, am always amazed when I talk to a patient and say, oh, I saw this specialist and I saw this one, I saw that. And they're each telling me, oh, there's nothing wrong with you here, go here, go. And you go to 15 different doctors. And it turns out that it likely is an endocannabinoid system dysfunction or deficiency and how, and people say, oh, how can cannabis fix all that? Well, because the receptors are everywhere. They cross over the systems and we can't just focus on one system. It's all connected. I know for you, for your condition, it affects you everywhere. It doesn't affect just one system.
0: Right. It, well, and, and so do you, are you starting to sense that in the medical community that there are more and more people, I know you lecture to doctors, what's been that reception?
1: Well, so it seems that in the last, I'd say five years, we're seeing more and more physicians, um, you know, nurses, healthcare practitioners open up to the idea of medical cannabis. And I do think it's because patients are starting to feel comfortable enough to speak with their physicians about it by saying, oh, I got my medical cannabis letter, or I want to get my can- medical cannabis. I've been using it. It helps me. I tried this. I think CBD, um, the idea of CBD not being impairing or intoxicating has given people that kind of, you know, Open the door into the exploration of medical cannabis um, because there are still a lot of people very uncomfortable with THC. And I just would state out loud: THC is not a bad cannabinoid, and CBD is the good cannabinoid. They are both just cannabinoids and are tools to be used to help us. I use THC in children who do beautifully with it, and there is should be nobody should be outraged. By that, if they don't make anandamide or they're deficient in anandamide, the compound that replaces that is THC. We try with CBD, but they don't work the same way. And I can't make CBD work a certain way in someone if they are missing the the trigger at the receptor, which is sometimes going to be THC as the answer. So I do think doctors are opening up. One of my goals, I very early on in a project with Americans for Safe Access. I hope it's okay to say it, but we have embarked on the initial discussions to start educating medical students and people in their internships and residencies, because if you don't learn it when you are in that educational phase of your training, it is unlikely to come later. So um, we are embarking on a big project to start educating medical students and residents I'm tired of keep hearing the same only 13% of medical schools teach about it. We keep repeating this and nobody's doing anything about it. So I approached Americans for safe access and said, let's do something about this awfully low number.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, but I think one of the things that's really, you know, thrown me a little bit and uh, I back up again, I said, back in 2001, 2002, I was seeking out, you know, products that were higher in CBD And then literally almost about 2011 started to recognize the fact that there were so many more cannabinoids that we weren't aware of. And, you know, when you really dig into the research, we understand that, you know, it is probably because of the synergism between those cannabinoids and not just cannabinoids, but also the terpenes and flavonoids. I mean, there's been a recent study that just came out discussing the fact that, you know, some flavonoids have, you know, uh, a higher anti inflammatory response than even aspirin. And um, when you start looking at it from that perspective, you know, I'm a little thrown that the industry hasn't kind of followed suit. You know, what I mean, the cannabis industry should be making sure that it at least keeps up with the research and doesn't just sing a tune of two cannabinoids know that there are well over 167. Let's start singing a tune of all of them together. And, you know, we also know that, you know, THC, THCA, which is not psychoactive or psycho psychoactive unless you heat it up, you know, could be the same, had the same reaction at that receptor level, but we don't know because we haven't done enough research about it to figure out whether or not that could be the trigger to help kick in more. Nav- I mean, like, The cannabinoids act as a, I don't know what to call it, um, uh, antagonist. So when it hits that receptor, is that what helps to create more of the anandamide and the 2-AG and the others?
1: Well, what happens, is it appears that um, some cannabinoids, and there's a number of them that do this, they block the uptake of anandamide. So that allows anandamide. So remember anandamide gets released by the receiving cell. So the message is being sent by a sending cell. Anandamide, if if the uh, receiving cell says, wait, that message is off. It it makes on demand anandamide. By the way, you make anandamide from the building blocks are healthy fat. And what have we been told not to eat for years and years? It's fat, everything was low fat for years and years. Um, So please start eating healthy fat and cut back on your sugar, feed your endocannabinoid (laughs) system, healthy fat. So your body makes the anandamide when you need it, it releases it backwards to go back to the sending cell, attaches to the receptor, but in addition, uh, and that's the anandamide. And what happens is after anandamide binds to the receptor, some enzymes come along and break it down. So we have shown in research that some uh, cannabinoids work to block the uptake of anandamide, meaning it allows the anandamide to work a little bit longer. It enhances your body's own endocannabinoid function. How wonderful is that? It's like helping your body along, right? Let's let's let your body work a little bit better. And remember, that's only one mechanism. Look, THC has been found to work at numerous receptors outside of the cannabinoid system. CBD has function within the endocannabinoid system, but also they've described so far 65 different targets in the brain and body. It's like this wonder medicine. It's almost too good to be true. So for it's, but that also makes it very difficult to guess in any one person how they're going to respond. So anybody who says CBD is going to, you know, cure everybody of whatever you, you don't know, there are some patients. I do have patients that don't respond to CBD. That's why you have to have other cannabinoids available because Their physiology doesn't jive with CBD, but that doesn't mean medical cannabis isn't gonna work for them. Maybe they need THCA, maybe they need THC, maybe they need CBG, maybe CBDA. Um, I have a patient right now who is struggling with breast cancer and um, she had been taking THC and CBD on a regular basis and she started a new chemo which really kicked her butt and caused a severe, severe nausea, vomiting that wasn't responding to anything cbd i added low dose cbda to her regimen and it completely eliminated all the nausea and vomiting how wonderful right now we have another tool so we can't ignore when we talk about medical cannabis we're not talking about one thing we're talking about lots of things and we have to be open to that because when i see an article that says you know cannabis does xyz that's like saying you know it, it, it doesn't narrow it down. What cannabis, what are you talking about? Which cannabinoid, right? It's very important that we don't have these generalized titles because now things are a little bit different and we should be more specific about what we're talking about.
0: And again, though we're doing a starting thing, there is some research that's starting and we've, we've got some decent research happening around the world where we're starting to figure out that it's not just the cannabinoids, but also the terpenes right. and the cannabinoids which are, you know, found in, in various places in the plant. And, you know, terpenes are also found in other plants other than cannabis. The question I have for you is, though, is is the terpene a terpene a terpene, meaning is the mercene that we found in a mango, though when we break that down to its molecular number, is that the same mercene we found fine in the hemp plant?
1: Yes, it is. And so, um, you know, there are people that are purists who say you should not add terpenes to uh, cannabinoid medicines. We should be growing the chemovars or what we call the chemical varieties, which is the makeup of the plant. If you want something high in mercy you should grow it that way. Um, unfortunately, the way kind of the system is set up is that, and again, you know, I have to say that I'm not thrilled with the way that uh, most states have set up their medical cannabis programs, they've kind of gone overly restrictive, if you ask me, uh, which is unwarranted um, with uh, cannabis in terms of, you know, what's allowed, it it would be nice if we could personalize the treatment. So like, if you were a person who said, I would like a strain with higher myrcene, that you wouldn't necessarily have to get something that somebody spiked with myrcene from another plant, because that can, people are doing that. And it can work, but wouldn't it be nice if if we could get a grower to grow your strain for you, personalize that, figure out what works best for you. So, you know, there's two schools of thoughts with that, but yes, myrcene, limonene, all of those. Remember the phytocannabinoids, which are the plant cannabinoids are mostly found in the cannabis plants. There's a few other plant species that have them, uh, but nobody else has you know, THC and CBD. But when you look at Uh, the flavonoids and the uh, terpenes, those are cross species, you know, and I write in the book, when you walk into a pine forest and you breathe in that air and you get that pine smell and it's invigorating, that's a compound called pinene. That occurs in pine trees, but it also occurs in the cannabis plant. Myrcene is in hops and mango. It also occurs in the cannabis plant. And these compounds are biologically active. And they're important because they are synergistic, not with not only with each other, but with um, the phytocannabinoids. And Mother Nature, I really believe, gave us this plant um, and this flower to use, not by reducing it down, but by taking it as a whole.
0: Gotcha, absolutely. Well, look, I have to take a, 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 a minor little break here just for a second, Doc, just to pay some bills. So I'd love for you to stick around, and I'm gonna we'll come right back. Um, and for all of you that have been tuned in and listening, I'm telling you, you have an opportunity today to hear from, I think, probably one of the most respected and most experienced medical cannabis physicians worldwide. That's Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. We're gonna take a little break from Leslie Blow and Maltel. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Make sure you stay tuned. Be back right after this. Hey, again, thanks so much for tuning in to Let's Be Blot with Montana. Today's guest is one of the most respected and experienced medical cannabis physicians worldwide. She's lectured both nationally and internationally about her clinical experience and, and what she does to help educate healthcare professionals on how cannabinoids can be incorporated into a patient's med- medical regimen. She's the owner and medical director of Canna Centers Wellness and Education and the medical advisor to WeedMaps. She's recently released a brand new book, which is called Cannabis is Medicine, and everything from exam- or how medical cannabis and CBD are healing everything from anxiety to chronic pain. Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, thanks so much for being a part of the show today.
1: Sure thing.
0: Absolutely. You know, I said earlier, I wanted to break each each one of the chapters down. Let's kind of talk a little bit, though, because you, you do list a long list of maladies that could and i'm going to say it this way could be helped by cannabis um why don't you go through a little bit of that just so people understand why we think it's so important to educate people you should go out and i'm telling you get the copy of the book you'll see why cannabis works for some of these maladies that the doctors going to talk about but you know from autoimmune diseases to inflammatory conditions and and let's talk about that first because we've seen such a rise in the united states especially in the united states when it comes to autoimmune disease, and I'd say that's been primarily more written about in the last century than before that, could that have something to do with the fact that we did, you know, go into prohibition. I mean, before 1937, you know, people in this country consumed and ate porridges made of hemp seed and people consumed hemp on a daily basis or a regular basis. It was part of your regular diet. So all of a sudden we just went boom stop doing it. And then all of a sudden we see this rise in autoimmune disease in America. Could that be part of the problem?
1: I do think it is part of the problem. I, there's no question in my mind that most of the issues surrounding autoimmune disease are, um, likely from what we put in our bodies. When I think about how, you know, I was born in the sixties, my mom prepared food, um, she went to the butcher, she went to the grocery for the produce, Uh, you know, she, she prepared natural food. She didn't open packages. When I think about all the food that, um, you know, uh, high fructose corn syrup and wheat and everything and processed food and microwavable dinners and all of these kind of, uh, you know, basically junk, what Michael Pollan calls food-like substance, got into our, our, um, our bodies. And again, additionally, we have this concept of stop eating fat, right? So, you know, everything was low fat. I can't tell you as a teenager, low fat, low fat, all right? And we, we were terrified of eating fat. And, you know, it's come to bear that all of this junk that we're putting in our bodies is likely poisoning us. Um, uh, you can heal yourself by changing your diet and you can heal yourself by putting back into your diet plants. Plants are, high, are, are phenomenal for, um, for protein, for um, fiber, for everything that you need. And one of the things are the healthy fats. Remember in hemp, we have a nice source of omega-3 fatty acids, which again, most Americans are eating too much omega-6 and not enough omega-3 in the right ratios. And I do think that a lot of um, what's happened to us and, and what's happened really to our endocannabinoid system, basically becoming dysfunctional. Has to do with what we put in our body, and it triggers all kinds of crazy. Look, we have this amazing immune system that can fight off disease, but yet we cripple it by the food that we're eating.
0: And there's been research that's been done on cannabis and cannabinoids when it comes to cancer since you know mid 1990s, and, and and even before before that. So let's talk a little bit about cancer, and 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 not only does The cannabinoids have an effect on the treatments that we use, but we also think that there's some neuroprotection in there. So there's some protection against cancer
1: cells, right? That's right. So what we know about phytocannabinoids is that if they're put into a test tube with cancer cells, or even into an animal that is, you know, is growing cancer, and what they can do is take human cancer and implant it in an animal, right, and grow cancer and use that animal as a subject. Um, what we know is that cannabinoids inhibit tumor growth, basically tell cancer cells stop growing. Okay. The other thing that cannabis does are phytocannabinoids, CBD, THC, and some of the other ones that they tell the cancer cells to commit suicide. So remember if THC binds to a cannabinoid receptor on a healthy cell in your brain, that's in charge of nausea and you're having nausea, It's going to tell that cell, stop sending the message of nausea. Basically, that's what happens. But what happens when THC binds to a cannabinoid receptor sitting on a cancer cell? It tells that cell to commit suicide. The fancy word is apoptosis. To kill itself. Okay, that's an amazing compound when you think about that. It's telling cancer cells to kill themselves. Other research has shown that Cannabinoids can also tell cancer cells to stop sending the messages, the chemical messengers out that tell cancer cells to spread. So we call that metastasis. So we know from research in Europe um, and other places where we know that CBD will tell cancer cells stop spreading, stop, you know, and again, not human clinical trials because we're still restricted in doing that but in which I find fascinating in 2020 to say that to you. One other thing is remember cancer cells, especially for tumors, cancer cells send out proteins to build their own blood vessels to feed themselves. Okay. And that's called angiogenesis, angio for blood vessel, genesis for birth of, okay. Cannabinoids are anti-angiogenesis. They basically stop the cancer cells from sending those messages out to build their own blood vessels, in essence, starving the cancer from oxygen and, and sugar, which the cancer needs in order to grow. So, you have this multitude of, of properties that cannabinoids can do. And then, additionally, what we have found out is that in some, there is some research out there that shows that certain chemotherapies, when combined with cannabinoids, their effects are enhanced. There's more cancer killing than with the chemo alone. We also know there's just a small handful, I think five studies now that show that if you are have um, CBD or THC given, sometimes both of them, at the same time as radiation, it enhances the effects of radiation while at the same time helping the, the healthy cells to stay healthy. It's amazing to me that we still have this idea, oh, no, 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 you can't take cannabis if you're getting chemotherapy or radiation. Absolutely, you should, of course, under medical supervision, be taking cannabinoid treatment. It may help protect you. Um, There is a doctor here locally who's a well-known oncologist who told me that he can tell which children in his oncology practice are on cannabis and which are not without the parents saying anything. And how, how can he tell? Because the kids that are on cannabis are not as sick they are playing they are happy they are thriving compared to the kids who are kind of going undergoing treatment without cannabis medicine
0: but it's uh, to me it just seems so insane that we can't today get back to break through to those you know, I, I i unfortunately um you know uh went through a period of time with my own daughter who went through two bouts of lymphoma and um You know, the second round was more virulent than the first. And, you know, she's a young adult who was able to make some decisions for herself. But I made sure that I got her, you know, the highest CBD products that I could get her. And, you know, God bless. She was cured, is considered cured now, and has been doing well and living her life. Um, But I, I, I thought back to, you know, the fact that there were some other people that were in the hospital with her at the same time who I know didn't do as well as she did. And I just, you know, feared I I, 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 it wasn't my place to say anything to them at all, because I don't want a doctor come beat me over the head. Um, But it just seems ridiculous to me that if we have so many anecdotal, you know, stories like this that say that, yes, in fact, people have done better, that more and more doctors don't get onto the the stump. You know what I mean? I, I just don't get it.
1: Well, I get it, um, Montel. And the reason is because it's still a Schedule one. So I am going to bust my butt the next four years to try to penetrate the federal government and get them to understand that it needs to be descheduled, not rescheduled. It needs to be descheduled so that scientists can do the research. And this is what I say is that if we don't know and everybody wants to say, oh, we don't know, we don't know. Well, let's find out. Are we, are we not smart enough to handle the knowledge? I think we can handle the knowledge. We already have a lot of it. But wouldn't it be nice to have human clinical trials so that I could tell a family who comes to me with a sick child with cancer, which cannabinoids might work best, what dosing they should use, how long should the child take it? I can't, you know, I help as best I can, but research gives us the answers to those questions. And if we don't get started now, we're just not going to get anywhere in the next 20 to 30 years because research takes time and we just have to be free to do the research. And the number one blockade is that schedule one status. You know, by a physician under California law, I am protected to write, recommendation letters for my patients so that we are all protected. But federally, it's still illegal. And this, there, there should be no reason for that in 2020. And I tell everybody, when you vote, and I know we just had an election, but remember, there's more elections coming down the line. Um, do your best to reach out to your politicians and tell them it's time. We can no longer live it, under this prohibition. Because what really all we're doing is prohibiting sick people from accessing medicine and knowledge that's what we're doing
0: did the farm bill open up any opportunities for more, more research into the individual cannabinoids because we can now at least sell across state lines hemp which has all the same cannabinoids in them though they are different you know uh, uh, quantities in each one but but at least there is THC in hemp plant so, Can we research the hemp plant?
1: Right. So, look, if I'm trying to figure out how CBD might help a group of people, let's say I take patients with, you know, neuropathy, nerve pain, and I want to see if a twenty to one ratio of CBD, fifty milligrams, helps them, okay, or whatever range of dosing. In order to set up that study, I have to get approval by uh, a number of federal. Um, agencies, because as of today, no matter what the Farm Bill says, as a physician, licensed physician, as people who are doing academic research, all cannabinoids are still considered Schedule 1, and you have to go through the federal government in order to get the product to use in your research. So, you know, I know you probably heard of Dr. Sue Sicily. I think she's been on your show before. She's doing research on veterans that have PTSD and the product that she's using is coming from the federal government's farm at the University of Mississippi.
0: Which is the worst.
1: And it does not reflect real world cannabis. In order for me to do research with real world cannabis, I have to jump through a lot of hoops. It took her three years to get her study approved. This is ridiculous that we are still in this place in 2020.
0: Yet at the same time, all over the world, in Colombia, soon to be, um, you know, uh, Argentina, and, you know, what's going on in China right now, which is really scares me because, you know, the Chinese are, are understand quickly that the West has got an appetite for CBD, so they are in this process of growing who knows what that they're going to then completely saturate the market with And people are going to be using a product that I don't know, just like those other things that come out of China you can't trust. I don't know if I can trust CBD coming out of there either.
1: I agree with you. And that's where that certificate of analysis comes in. You must have, you must know your source of CBD. You have to see the certificate of analysis. You know, just recently a family uh, reached out to me. Uh, They have a beautiful little girl who is uh, going through chemotherapy and the father, you know, is struggling to afford cannabis because it is expensive, and California has ridiculous ca- taxes on medical cannabis, which was a, an absolute. Uh, the state should be ashamed of themselves for taxing medical patients like this. So he had uh, a family or a grower had reached out to him and said, "I'd like to provide you with." Some cannabis for your daughter and so on. And, and I said, you know, not until we get it tested. So we went and got it tested. And unfortunately, there were some heavy metals and some pesticides in it. So, you know, the person growing it is being very kind and generous and offering. And so hopefully they'll remediate their pra- growing practices. But if that's happening here in California, you know that that's going to happen from uh, other countries. So it's important to know. The source of your CBD—it's important to know that certificate of analysis. And I tell everybody, it's buyer beware. The hemp market's unregulated, so you know, do your due diligence. Um, if you're buying something through a licensed dispensary, either in a state that has a medical program or adult use program, most of those products have been tested, and you are supposed to have access to the COA, so or the certificate of analysis. So make sure. It's worth it to check. You don't want to find out months later that you've been taking something that has a lead in it or arsenic or pesticides or solvents for that matter.
0: And what people don't understand is that, you know, for years from, for centuries, hemp, the hemp plant was used to actually clean the soil because we, not that we didn't know. And some of the growers didn't know, you know, what they were actually trying to clean out of the soil, but they would plant, you know, one whole field of, of hemp and then burn it, destroy it and grind it up, put it in the soil for as a fertilizer and didn't recognize that but they were grinding up and put back, had just leached out of the soil, all the heavy metals and a lot of the detrimental things. So um, I agree with you. I, I just hope that we figure out again, we got to get you to Washington, D.C. <laughs> we have to get you recognized in DC as our authority so that we could start getting politicians to understand that this is really the direction Let's talk a little bit more about some other illnesses. Diabetes can be affected by uh, cannabis also.
1: That's right. So there are studies that show that uh, people who use cannabis have less risk of diabetes. They have smaller waistlines. They have less insulin resistance. And um, I clinically have seen patients that have both type one and type two tell me boy, since I've been using cannabis, you know, medical cannabis under supervision and kind of dialed in my regimen to help me. And by the way, some of them are not using it for their diabetes. They're using it for another condition, but yet their diabetes is benefiting. Right. Um, And they're saying, boy, my sugars are more stable. My doctor can't believe my numbers are so good. And look, it's not magic. It's part of the puzzle pieces, you know, good, healthy diet, exercising. Those also, by the way, remember, I already mentioned eating right, And good exercise feeds your endocannabinoid system. It helps it work better. You can get it into, you know, fine tune it that way with what we call the augmentation of cannabinoids and terpenes from the plant. But these patients have reported to me, my numbers that used to bounce all over, they're now steady. Um, Dr. Mishulam did some groundbreaking research where he showed that when they induced diabetes in animals, where they gave them diabetes, the animals that got CBD did not develop diabetes. That's amazing.
0: That's absolutely amazing. You know, like, let's, 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 how about, let me see, let me you a couple more, how about epilepsy? Well, we know epilepsy, that's really probably would actually kick the CBD craze into, you know, the hyperspace, right?
1: That's absolutely right. Those, you know, after CNN aired the documentary about the little girl in Colorado who was having, you know, uncontrolled epilepsy and her mother found some CBD rich cannabis, it helped her tremendously. And that really opened the gates uh, to parents seeking CBD for um, epilepsy. Uh, No question. Now we have enough research to state, um, it, really irrefutably that CBD is an anticonvulsant. It doesn't work for everybody, but no anticonvulsant does. But it certainly gives patients who are not responding to uh, anticonvulsant medicine an option to use plant medicine. You know, um, in 2000, there was um, a study that showed that about um, only about 65% of people respond to seizure the first, second, or third seizure medication, meaning... 30 plus percent don't respond. And just a couple years ago, I think in 2018, the researchers decided, let's review the literature one more time and see if anything's changed in the last 18 years. And nothing changed. It was still around 35 percent of people did not respond to the first, second or third. And the chances of responding are like under four percent to any drug after that. And I've got kids coming to me that have tried 12 drugs, 15 drugs, and I don't understand because remember this is a, a child with developing brain time is brain cells we cannot allow a child to just have seizure after seizure after seizure a child with brain damage is not better than a child on cannabis i mean i hate to be so blunt about it but my goodness it's just a plant it's not radioactive plutonium i mean let's let's be and now we have research to show that cannabis, that cbd and but thc is an anticonvulsant thca can be used as an anticonvulsant there's no reason that patients cannot try these compounds safely. And by the way, they have a better safety profile. We don't see uh, the kind of side effects that we see with uh, the, pharmace- the seizure pharmaceuticals. And that's one of the reasons that doctors are always seeking out new anti-seizure medications is because the side effect profile of seizure medications is pretty difficult. You know, My mother suffered from seizures, and I write about that in the beginning of the book. And then I didn't mention, but my father hit his head when he was seventy-nine and suffered seizures after having surgery. I see, and have seen what those seizure medications did to my own parents, and boy, if cannabis was an option at the time that they had their uh, their issues, we would have been all over it.
0: Yeah, I've, I've unfortunately have a child who has suffered from uh, you know adolescent onset um, seizures, and um, you know in, in her adult life she is um she gravitated to cannabis a long time ago and has done a million times better having been using a cannabis user than some of the medications that she was on and the medications she was on I watched her go through that journey of you know 10 different medications and none of them really working as well until she's been able to hit a stride with what she's been on herself so I can't thank you enough, Dr. Goldstein, for being here and being a part of the show. We were out of time. I I could talk to you for hours and hope that you'll come back and let me do just that. Just to cover a couple more of the illnesses, you know, everything from fibromyalgia to gastrointestinal disorders to glaucoma, to infectious diseases, to liver disease, hepatitis C, to migraine headaches, to multiple sclerosis, to neurodegenerative diseases, to, to spectrum diseases on the autism spectrum. I mean, there are... It's just a wealth of information in this book. I'm going to make sure i hold it up again. I didn't hold it up high enough, but Cannabis is Medicine. I know that's backwards, but Cannabis is Medicine. You know, uh, how medicinal, medical cannabis and CBD are healing from anxiety to chronic pain. That's the book. It's by Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. You can go out and get a copy of it today. Go up on Amazon, order your copy, get this and put this in your personal library. This should be something as a reference book that I think, you know, every doctor should have on their shelf. And um, I'm going to do as much as I can to see if we can help you get down to Washington, D.C. and see if we can school some of the politicians down there and make them understand that this is not, you know, the nuclear weapon that people think (laughs) something that can benefit us all. Doctor, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the show. Could you come back, please? I'd love to have you back.
1: I'm happy to come back. Great to talk with you.
0: Absolutely, really, really, really good to talk to you too. We're out of time, so you know what you got to do. Make sure you tune into the next next edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel, and make sure you go out again. doing we'll do the shameless plug again. Get the book. Get the book. Thanks a lot. See you next time. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback, also, so please send us your comments. I'm the